0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome into to the Otson Audible's podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, all on the show today. It is Tuesday, December 27th. Uh, we are just over 24 hours before kickoff. At the time of this recording between the number 15 ranked oregon ducks and the coastal division champions of the acc and nine and four uh north carolina tar heels guys uh first time these two teams have ever played each other uh that's pretty cool um it's on fox which means we get their big tv crew of joe Clatt and gus johnson um Jenny Taft on the sidelines. We should know Eric and I bumped into Gus here in town. He's he's roaming around. Um, pretty pretty cool to see him around town. We just wrapped up a press conference with Mac Brown and Dan Laney, the two head coaches in this game. And it's a weird feeling because it's December 27th, and this is our second podcast really diving into North Carolina. The second one came yesterday. Um, and yet this game at the same time feels like it could be one of the more entertaining games because of who's playing at quarterback for both teams. Drake May at North Carolina, Bo Nix for Oregon. Um, I'm not sure what to make of this game. Like, I'm excited to see it play out, but at the same time, I'm also kind of like, yeah, it's just another bowl game.
0: Well, and I think the reality is, and it's clear based upon – the attention we've seen on our message board, the numbers we've seen on anything previewing this game, the way our podcasts have been received on YouTube, on, on our, we we keep track of the numbers and there's just isn't much anticipation from much of anybody. Like the, the numbers are kind of like a little underwhelming. So I'm not sure the fans are that into it. And, I, and I, I also think that's just sort of where we are right now with college football. If you're not in the college football playoff, and if you're not in one of those new year's six bowls. So, there's there's like basically like 10 games that people care about from a bowl game perspective, unless you're a program like Oregon State, who doesn't win bowl games very often and gets to go play and win one. You know, I think that was a game that, that then Oregon State getting into 10 wins. We talked about this earlier today, was a huge, huge, significant moment for that program. Winning a bowl game over an opponent like Florida was significant for that program. For Oregon, win or loss, it doesn't really impact the season. Like I saw somebody on our message board make the point one sometime the last couple of days of like, I don't really even remember who we played in last year's bowl game because the season was basically over once, once they lost the conference championship game. And they're just kind of, I don't even really remember what happened because the season isn't defined for very many programs based upon a bowl that isn't one of the premier bowls. I just think that's the situation you're at. If you're an Oregon fan, Obviously, not those at, in, the, in the program. Dan made it very clear that this game means a lot to them. But for a lot of folks, I just think you kind of go, uh, sure, it'll be fun. You'll watch the game. But how much does it impact things? Like if Oregon gets to 10 wins or if they get nine wins and they lose this game, I'm not sure how much that impacts anything unless this is a colossal failure or a dominant-dominant win. Like if Oregon wins by 40 points or loses by 40 points, that's going to be a big thing. But if this is a competitive game, as we all expect, one way or the other, the outcome probably just doesn't mean that much. So I just think that's kind of where we are with college football, part of the reason why I think expanding the playoff will will provide for at least a couple more teams, more incentive for these games. But at the end of the day, it's kind of just, as Matt said, it's another bowl game. Oregon goes to these every year, and this isn't one of the ones that really gets you you know, too excited. Real,
1: real quick, yeah, and then, I know you want to talk about it. We should note Mac Brown is a big component of – These bowls staying around. Like, he went on a long discussion today Mm -hmm. about the importance of these and why they should remain even with the playoff. So go ahead. Sorry.
2: Yeah, and I I would agree with Mac Brown. I think that these games, while maybe not to the the diehard fans are important because you'd rather see your team in a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, And, like, to Eric's point about how Oregon State got to 10 wins, I think that's an important factor. I think that a lot of these bowl games go – undernoticed or underserved just because of the bigger fan base is expecting to be in different games. But for a majority of college football, this is what you strive for. This is what you work for. There are the upper echelons of programs like probably 15 to 20 in the country that expect more than just a New Year's or excuse me, more than just a bowl game in general. Um, and Oregon happens to be in that group. So you kind of do have that sensation where it's like, ah, eh, just another game they're playing it in a baseball stadium. That's kind of cool. It's in San Diego, so maybe it'll be nice weather. But realistically, like to, to Matt when he started this, is saying like this should be an exciting game. It should be. These are two like the best quarterbacks in college football with two of the best offenses in college football. Just like you know, on, on the grand scheme of things, if it's somebody wants to watch an entertaining game, it's the offensive explosions. It's not like two elite defenses like Georgia and, and Alabama going to, going at it, and it's like a nine to six game from. 2012. It's the, the, who was it? it? was the chiefs and chiefs and Rams that one time that went into overtime it was like 51 to 42. Like those types of games are exciting. And this is a game that has that kind of offensive firepower, but I don't think, I don't think the masses from either fan bases are, are extremely excited for this game in general. I'm excited to watch it. I, I you know, I was excited to be there, but to Southwest's uh, determination to let me not go to this game, Uh, I'll be I'll be watching it from afar, but I think it'll still be exciting. It's just maybe it's just definitely not as exciting as it would be if this were a New Year's Six matchup, which for both of these teams, you know, three to four games ago, it might have been. But you know, they both really struggled down the stretch of their season and now they're here on December twenty eighth for the holiday bowl.
0: And can I just before Matt not not again, I hate that I'm interjecting for you, but I just just to kind of paint the picture for those not in San Diego, for people like Jared who couldn't make it out here. Weather is great. I've seen basically no fans for either teams, and we're sta- Matt and I are staying at a hotel that is like a block from Petco. Like we we can see Petco out our windows; it is right there. I've seen like several people in Oregon shirts who I think are part of the band. I've seen no North Carolina colors so far. I know we're here a couple of days, but I guess now a day before the game, there, there's no signage. Matt has made this point a couple times around Petco to even acknowledge the game. Like, there's basically no buzz in town. Like, we went out to a a restaurant last night with a couple reporters, and our bartender was like, hey, yeah, I heard there's a football game coming up this week with Oregon, right? And we're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I just heard about that. I'm like, you just heard about it. It's the Holiday Bowl, and isn't it every year in San Diego? So, you know, there's just, again, and I hate to – I feel like we're breaking down this game in a way that is maybe comes across negative, but the reality is that there is just so much lesser buzz for this than even, like, a game against – like hypothetically, at the Rose Bowl against UCLA in mid-November, would have a ton more interest than than this For particular sure. game, which is as I think we're going to get into. Unfortunate because there is the opportunity to watch two really potent offenses play against two very bad defenses that are already decimated <laughs> now by opt-outs. So I think the scoring in this game could be uh, could be pretty pretty exciting.
1: I I was going to touch on kind of what you talked about, Eric, but. I think I'm with Jared. I agree with Mac Brown's comments that these bowl games should be uh, in some form and capacity around. Now, some of them are going to get, get nicked, Some of them need to, to go. But um, this one is one that that should stay. And I was skeptical of this game being played in a baseball stadium. And, look, we haven't seen the field yet. We haven't been in the press box yet. We haven't seen the sight lines. Maybe that just is so bad that my opinion changes, but this is like the perfect setup for a fan to go to a bowl game outside of the Rose bowl, the fiesta bowl, the playoff type situations. Because like Eric said, we're staying in a hotel that's across the street from the stadium. We literally get on a a walkway bridge over a freeway and, we're there in five minutes. There's like seven or eight other hotels right within walking distance of the stadium. There's a bunch of food. There's a bunch of places to do for families. It's warm weather. And the challenge becomes for this bowl moving forward how can you entice the fan bases of the teams that you're bringing here to, to go all in? Because if, unfortunately, like today, like this year, there's the travel issues. Even Dan Lanning's family from out of the state of Oregon is having to drive, like, the 19 or 20 hours, he said, to, from Kansas City to uh, San Diego. Um, but that's going to be the logistics, is, is finding bowls and then making it enticing for players and teams and fans to come to this game. This should be one of them. Um, we don't need to go down that, that tangent too far. But back to the game tomorrow, like, I don't know – and I think one of the big intrigues here is is, is it's kind of what Mac Brown talked about um, with or- with with North Carolina, and I think it really kind of is the same similarity situation for Oregon. This can and Dan touched on it too just a little bit. Like this can be a launching point for the twenty twenty three season for Bo Nicks individually, the Heisman hype next season, and also the program. Um, collectively with a big win. Mac Brown referenced, I guess they played in a bowl game last year. They lost really bad to South Carolina, and it just really set a, a poor taste in the in his mouth and in the program's mouth of how it played out, and they used that as a motivating factor for all of this season. And, yeah, they've lost three in a row limping into this game. They're 9-4. and four. But that, that means at one point they were 9-1 and one in, in their season. They were having a really terrific year, in that discussion for a New Year's Six or, you know, rare chance of a, of a playoff berth. But they were just like Oregon. They were they were having a, a very special season. And I think this game for Oregon, even if it's against a North Carolina that's unranked and it's in a bowl game that few really care about, just getting to, to 10 wins, getting a bowl victory, heading into next season will change the entire narrative of just the excitement that you have for that team next season, in my opinion, at least.
0: Yeah, I'll be I'll be curious to see one way or the other, you know, kind of what the outcome of this game is and how it shapes the narrative. I think, obviously, from an individual perspective, I, I remember coming out of like, – I think I think it impacts the individual maybe more than it does the team. I just remember coming out last year's Alamo Bowl and the big talking point was like, wow, Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton, and Chris Hudson had these big plays, and you're kind of getting excited going, man, if they can find someone to throw these guys the football, Like, Oregon has something at receiver. Like, those kind of storylines exist, um, you know, coming out of a bowl game like that. And, of course, Oregon ends up finding somebody who can get those guys the football. And two of those three guys had great seasons. And I I think that probably more so than just, like, the, you know, the the, I just don't know if the outcome of this game, for me, is going to shape too much of the narratives, unless it's but aside from like very specific things, like if the, the defense really struggles and gives up a thousand points, we're going to be talking about that throughout the off season. If, if Bo Nix has another huge game and it's this great, which is what I'm hoping I'm actually kind of rooting for is a Bo Nix, Drake may both players kind of set the stage for maybe being in the conversation and so select players that could be in New York city for the Heisman trophy, you know, uh, uh, celebration, uh, That's kind of the outcome that maybe you get here where where there's really high-end quarterback play. I think that's sort of the expectation. We'll get into some of the matchups in a moment. I think that's sort of the way I anticipate a game like this, um, setting the offseason, setting the stage for the offseason. I think everybody knows Oregon is really, really talented in certain areas and really struggles in others. And maybe we'll come out saying, hey, actually Oregon's defense really held its own in an impressive way. I just wrote a story up on the site shortly after the press conference about how there could be a couple of true freshmen who – if they don't start could be playing a ton of kind of snaps because of opt-outs because of transfer portals. Maybe we come out talking about how dang Jaleel Florence, what a game he had. Drake may couldn't throw the football to his side of the field. Or how about Devin Jackson? Boy, he made a bunch of plays and you get some of that individual excitement. I think that's more of the way these bull games to me, at least sort of set the stage for the offseason. And maybe that's just how I look at teams anyway, because it is to me, I'm kind of focused on the the, the, the fine tune kind of the nuance of stuff. Um, but my, my focus probably coming out of this will be on some of those smaller narratives. At least that's the way it typically is. And, again, I think as we'll get to when we kind of break down this game, th- there are some pretty intriguing kind of matchups to kind of take a look at on Wednesday for for a game, which I expect to be really high scoring. In fact, I was just looking up the Holiday Bowl. I'm not sure if you guys have looked at this. I think I think this game could get very close to surpassing the, the Holiday Bowl scoring record, which is 91 combined points set in 1980 by BYU yeah. and SMU. It could come close. I'm. I have a
2: bunch of statistics about the UNC defense that I was going to rattle off later on in the show, so we'll get to that in a second. But I, I was going to agree with you, Eric, on your your later part, talking about how you you know you'll see like a young guy, either a freshman or a sophomore who or redshirt fresh or whatever the case, um, where they just get in the game. This is an opportunity for them because people leave. They can hit the transfer portal. They go to the NFL draft, and you have this many month long reflection of this one game. Where someone did well, and it's usually an underclassman, and that fills your potential cup. And you're looking at that guy, it's like, wow, that was, he did really great against UNC's second and third string wide receivers because everybody's in the portal, but he did really great. So I know that I'm going to get lost into that. I know that it's going to be on the defensive side because that's where all where, where most of Oregon's transfer portal departures have happened, at least, especially in like the second or third stringers. Um, Mike Devin Jackson, like you mentioned, Julio Florence any of the young cornerbacks, Harrison Taggart, um, just uh, maybe a defensive lineman here or there, but especially the edge rushers and Amari on Winston and Anthony Jones, because those guys are going to get immediate playing time. There is just physically not enough people on the defensive side of the ball to, to, to the point where these guys will not get playing time. Um, and that's usually how I come away from these lesser standing bowl games, just because the big name guys are, are, are jumping out. You Noah know, Sewell declared, um, We have uh, Christian Gonzalez declared a long time ago. Uh, Tony Grimes for UNC is gone. You have Josh Downs for UNC. He's gone. He was their best wide receiver. He's going to the league. Um, And so you get these real opportunities for guys to present themselves. And I think it's, I think a lot of the times the younger guys who present themselves, you get a lot more stock and people buy in a lot more than maybe like a sophomore or junior, or even somebody who has an extra year of eligibility coming back because you look at the future and you want to see those guys mature and develop just from this one game. And I, th- I think that's what we're going to be talking about a lot post game is just like, Oh, did you see these six plays from this player for either side of the ball that, you know, did really well in their limited amount of appearances, similar to what, um, you know, like Dante Dorton did in the Alamo bowl last year, where he was on the field a lot, only made a few plays, but boy, those plays were special. And he, Never really came to fruition this year other than the Chase Cota injury, but you talked about it all offseason. We were all high on Dante Dorton coming into the year, and um, I think that's just going to be another case this time, which I may it may sound like I'm saying it as a bad thing. It's not. This is it, It's really fun to see these young guys develop um, and finally get the opportunity because you're wondering why they did or did not get the opportunity. Then you realize it after the game why they did or did not get it.
1: Now we've said this multiple times. One, of, you know, these are two of the best offenses in the country. These are the two, two of the worst defenses in the country. It's going to lead to a lot of points. I'm curious about Jared's just data points that he's brought up. I mean, I'd segue oh, yeah. there. Um, I want to know what you have because individually, like Bo and Drake are are tremendous, but I imagine mm-hmm. these are also going to be two teams that have feasted on some really poor defenses in their big wins.
2: Yeah, well, Oregon and UNC are built basically the same. They have these great quarterbacks. I think Oregon's rushing attack is much better, but great quarterbacks, good wide receivers. They score a bunch of points. They move the ball down the field. They do all of these good things on offense, yet their defense just isn't good. They're just not great. But even for as pitiful as it seemed during the season for Oregon's defense, it didn't come close to how bad UNC's defense was, and it was – it was poor. Um, so I have, what is this, like eight eight bullet points here about how bad UNC's defense is. Um, starting with opponents' passes or points per game, they're 106 in the country, allowing 31.6 points a game. They're 115th in yards per game. They're allowing almost 450 yards per game uh, on a defense as a whole. 116th in yards per pass, 6.1, excuse me, yards per play, 6.1. They're 87th in rush yards per game, so that's one of the numbers below uh, 100th and rankings at 170.7. So Oregon's rush offense should have should have a nice day there too. considering they bring back all of their offensive linemen, uh, 115th in opponents yards per pl- yards per game passing 276.2, 130th in sack percentage as a team 3.05 uh, percent, which is substantially not great. It's worse than Oregon's, and Oregon really didn't have a good pass rushing season. Um, last two. 109th in yards per pass, eight yards per pass they allow, and 108th in the country in opponents' completion percentage at 64.4%. Um, this team does not, UNC does not do anything well on defense. It's, it's impressive. It really is. And Oregon does a lot of really good things on offense, even though Kenny Dillingham will not be calling the plays for this bowl game.
0: We should note that neither team's offensive coordinator will be calling plays. Yes. Um, Phil yeah. Longo took the job at Wisconsin. So he's not calling this game. Mac Brown made a very subtle comment about how he'd like there to be a rule implemented. And I kind of could see, I mean, I see both sides of it, obviously about how you would keep your coaches through the bowl games, how they have to play and have to coach in the bowl games. I don't think we'll ever get there because the NCAA takes a very hands-off approach with everything. Um, but sort of an interesting point, a couple of things that were interesting looking through North Carolina's defense I don't know if you picked up on this, Jared, when you were looking through it. Their rush defense is, is like I, kind of an anomaly. Like, it's really strange. You look through this. They gave up over 200 yards to Appalachian State, to Georgia State, to Notre Dame, to Duke. Okay, These are all, like, besides Notre Dame, pretty mediocre defenses. But then they mm-hmm. also held – or mediocre offense. But then they also held Georgia Tech, Miami, North Carolina State, and Clemson all under 100 yards. So it's like, yeah. and it's, it's, a, it's, Clemson, a, it's a real miss good. I was going to say, Clemson and Georgia Tech are like legitimate rush offenses. Like, they're, like they're good. Well, uh, Georgia State was the run that ran for 235. North Carolina State... Georgia Tech ran for 186. But what I was trying to say was like, mm-hmm. it's this weird mishmash of like, they allowed seven yards per carry to App State. They allowed six... Uh, seven yards per carry to Duke, But then they held NC State to two point three yards per carry. They held Miami to one point eight yards per carry. So, like, I was kind of having a hard time wrapping my head around sort of what they are. And I wish we would have we had Ross Martin of Inside Carolina on uh, for a, a podcast on Monday. And I kind of wish we'd gone into some of that because I just have been having a hard time sort of explaining, the fact that at times this season they were gutted by, again, I'm not trying to diminish App State or Georgia State, but like not – You can. I
2: feel they're, like not power,
0: they're not Power 5 programs, and they gave up like seven yards per carry and like almost 300 yards to those teams, and yet they basically shut down NC State and Clemson in their final two games this season, again, games they lost, to, to ranked opponents where they're holding them under three yards per carry and under 70 yards for both teams. So it's just kind of this weird thing to look at. So I don't really know what to expect. The other thing I'm curious about is like Nix as a rusher, how much of that we see. Dan was
2: mm-hmm.
0: I know you did the transcript on this Jared, but like I you could maybe have it in front of me the exact quote, but like kind of didn't really go into all, like what exactly his status was. He just kind of said it was good he had extra time to to heal up. I wonder if they're going to run him. Like how much of how many design runs will we see? How much RPOs will we see? That was such a big part of um, this offense when it was clicking. So like I, I I've got predictions later that are around the rush offense, and I, I I think Oregon will run the football. But this remains to me kind of the weird one of the weirder elements because North Carolina as a team has this really kind of strange, I guess, uh, resume as a run defense, where it's like mm-hmm. against crappier teams they got clubbed, and then against kind of good teams they were good against the run, and Oregon's like fits into that good team quality. So yeah. and go ahead. I was just going to say, and it might not matter because uh, North Carolina is even worse against the pass. So Oregon might just throw the ball all over the field and North Carolina is without its two starting corners and one of its starting safeties in this game. So um, it might not matter. Yeah. But I just was so weird looking through it and it was kind of I was kind of turning my head going, like, what's going on here?
1: That's going to be what my question to you was going to be. Like, and we don't know this, you know, what were the team's passing attacks that they dominated um, on the run game? Like, are they yeah. teams that their strength is passing the football and it it being in those games like did they just say like hey like you guys are so bad defending the pass and we've got the talent and the perimeter to make some special attacks through the air we're just going to do that like they're very similar to what georgia did against oregon like yeah you guys are good against the run but you know we're basically going to go short screens we're going to you know throw the ball down the field and we're not even going to try and run because your pass defense is atrocious, and maybe thats isn't is, is a reason why those teams really struggled. And the teams, um, you know that that did have success running the football. Maybe they have quarterbacks that they're more balanced. They're they're they can run the football, but they can also throw. Maybe they have the dual threat guy that, that makes things more interesting. I I kind of think Oregon's going to put up a lot of yards um, in, in this game. Well, Whether be. it's on the ground or or through the air.
0: Well, so Matt, I've actually pulled up their pass game log. Uh, we mentioned App State ran for two eighty eight. Uh, they also threw for three sixty one and had six passing touchdowns. So that was just a, yeah. everybody did had good days. Um, but if you go mm-hmm. to like Georgia State had one hundred and ninety yards through the air. Notre Dame at two hundred ninety yards through the air. Duke two forty five. So. Those are the teams that I mentioned earlier that had They're a lot just of rushing, rushing success. They're also having decent passing days. And then you look at the teams that they shut down on the on the ground. Like NC State, 270 yards through the air, a couple of touchdowns. Clemson, 317 through the air and a touchdown. Um, who else did I say? Miami had almost 500 yards passing and three yeah. touchdowns through the air. So, like, there, there is kind of this, like – based upon matchups it's you know and it's you know some teams have success doing both other teams it was like you couldn't run it but you could throw the ball like crazy you sure couldn't, you couldn't pass it you could run the ball like crazy i think it's kind of unfortunately what we ended up determining was oregon's issue which was remember i made that comment right around the washington game of like we'll see if they can go against a run heavy defense a run heavy offense like utah and like shut them down and i was like hey maybe the defense is just like built against certain offenses to like have success and then they played Oregon State. And Oregon State no. literally stopped trying to throw the football midway through the third quarter. Sorry for rehashing this, odds and Audible listeners. They could not throw the football midway through the third quarter. They stopped. They didn't do it at all. And yet they ran for four touchdowns and, and, and came back to win. So um, I, I, I imagine the answer to the question that I had was just like, much like Oregon, North Carolina's defense is one where it's like equal opportunity for opposing offenses. Of like, if you're good at passing the ball – Go have the chance to throw the football. If you're good at running the football, go ahead and run the football. Like pick your poison, mm-hmm. it'll it'll we'll be we'll be screwed either way. Um, which is sort of unfortunately kind of where Oregon is at, which um, I don't know if how much we want to we should probably get into these quarterbacks because they're really good. And we haven't really talked enough maybe about them. But um, the defenses sure. in this game are are very poor. Uh and that's why I think the 91 point Alamobile. Sorry, I did it, Matt. You did this earlier. The Alamo Bowl. The uh, we're already in San Diego. We were just at a thing that had actual signage for the Holiday Bowl. Uh, the Holiday Bowl record is 91 points. I, I genuinely think that's that's in jeopardy of, of going down tomorrow.
2: I think it's certainly in jeopardy, and we kind of mentioned it, but you know, for this game, UNC is going to be about six total defensive backs, and some of them obviously were uh, depth depth guys, just a couple safeties. But like Eric said, I think earlier, Storm Duck and. Tony Grimes are starting. Two cornerbacks are out, and then um, I think one of their starting safeties is out as well. They've had some actual like big defensive losses. While Oregon's transfer portal defensive losses have been mostly um, just pure depth purposes. And Sewell leaving and Gonzalez leaving for the NFL draft are, I guess I would those are obvious losses. But they're they're different kind of losses. They're not just hitting the transfer portal and leaving. They are talented enough to go into the NFL draft and and declare after their junior seasons. But, I, yeah, we might as well just get into the quarterback discussion now um, with, with Nick's and May. Um, Drake May is, is just spectacular. I think he's an unbelievable quarterback. Um, I mean, he's going to be a, a day one, a first rounder in the 24, 2024 NFL draft next year um, when he has his eligibility to declare. Um, going against Oregon's defense, as we just mentioned, how it can either be, um, you know, the, the, whatever you're good at on offense, I bet Oregon's defense isn't. Uh, this is going to be a huge test for what uh, what defensive backs play um, and whether it's Tri-Quest Bridges and Dante Manning are the main two guys or they rotate a lot of players in whatever that case may be. Um, it helps that Josh Downs went pro UNC's wide, uh, leading wide receiver. Um, I think it was just short of 1,100 yards but with 11 touchdowns this past season for UNC. Um, he's spectacular as well. He'll be a I'm probably a day two draft guy, but he's certainly somebody who can make a huge impact on a coll- collegiate football field. Um, I will say that UNC's offensive line isn't that great. Um, I think their, their sack rate uh, wasn't something to wasn't something to, to brag about. Um, I was just looking at this but they have they have a lot of issues on their offensive line. This is not the the Oregon way where their offensive line is really good and they give bonex a lot of time. Drake May has done a lot of his damage moving around in the pocket. I wouldn't say he's as, as big of an athlete as Bo Nix is from a, just a pure athleticism standpoint, but his pocket awareness is great. His elusiveness is, is great. Oregon fans, I would expect for there to be a lot, or maybe not a lot, but there to be some action in the backfield and Drake May just moves one way or another and will lose a tackle and makes a completion for 15 yards down the field because that's what he's done all season long. and he's a capable quarterback and if you're Oregon's defense I I don't know I don't know what you're going to do against Drake May except for maybe drop nine maybe just rush two guys and hope that they run it the entire game
1: yeah that's gonna be fascinating to see Oregon's game plan of just how they handled this because Jared like Drake may may be the number one pick next year like he might not he's He's not just the first round quarterback like Caleb
2: Williams will be the number one pick, I think. I mean, as long as he's healthy and he has another good season, I think he'll be number one.
1: Yeah. is in the discussion. He's right there.
2: He's right there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Like this is that good of a quarterback, which by the way, um, Mac Brown raved about just having your guy for next season on your roster right now, um, for both Oregon and for North Carolina with Drake May and Bo Nick said how it's like, I I don't know if he got the statistic, right. If he did, Holy shit. Um, seven starting quarterbacks in the ACC are transferring this season. They're in the, they're in the portal. I mean, that is crazy. Yeah. And he talked about how, like, it's already hard enough to find the guy and now to keep the guy is hard as well. And so Oregon and North Carolina Wednesday night, we're going to see two of the leagues, two of the country's best quarterbacks play and both schools win or lose. will be able to say like, Hey, that guy's coming back next season to to play for our school. That, that's a pretty big deal. And Mac made that a point. Um, unless there's more to talk about. I don't think there is. is. Let's. I
0: got, I had one, just one yeah. quick thought that I was going to throw out of uh, and it's kind of, it was going to be a quick snippet anyway of, The last time Oregon had an extended period of time to prepare for an explosive offense, didn't go great. (laughs) Like the open the season against Georgia, and like I, I know that's one data point, and it's the staff was new, and there's a lot of kind of interesting elements there that aren't here for this. But like sometimes you get optimistic that because of this expanded extended period of time before bowl game that you'll see you know certain weaknesses get shored up. I'm really not sure that is what takes place for Oregon's defense. Even though there is a lot of time to prepare for this game, like they're going to have a better part of three weeks or whatever to to prepare for this. I I, I just think this game is going to be really high scoring. I think there's going to be a lot of fun plays. We do I do think North Carolina probably has been hit a little bit more in terms of outgoing talent than Oregon has. Although, was, as we've noted, three of probably Oregon's four or five best defensive players we don't expect to play or won't be playing this game because of opt-outs. But, like, I I, I wish I could sit up here and be super confident that, like, Oregon's going to figure it out and they'll devise a great game plan and they can keep North Carolina in check. But, like, I really think this is, like, all right, Bo, go win this this football game because the defense probably isn't going to be able to make enough plays to do so.
1: I agree. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we'll dive into making some predictions with a final outcome prediction for this football game.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.
1: All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, game picks for this one, and I don't know about you guys, um, I think this was one of the more harder ones to do because, like, especially on the defensive side of the football, because a Oregon has been gutted a little bit here um, with an already poor unit, with their three best players at each level not playing. Um, But it's going to lead to some interesting ones. Uh, So we'll start offensive player, defense, and then offensive team, and then go to defense. So offensive player for me, um, I I think we're going to get, statistically speaking, one of Bo Nix's best games he's had in his career because basically they've all come this year out of Oregon. I have him accounting for six total touchdowns in this football game. I think the ankle will be a little bit better. He'll be a little bit more of a running threat in this football game, which means we could see him vulture some touchdowns, Cyrus V. Laquillo style with the QB sneaks. Um, and then I think he's going to throw for some scores. Look, North Carolina's cornerbacks, like Jared said, their two starters are gone. They're missing a safety. But Oregon lost Dante Thornton, their three best receivers are back and playing in this game. Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, Chase Cota, You throw in their best tight end and Terrence Ferguson. You know Winnington, and you know Irving are playing, and both those guys are viable options in the pass game too. And the fact that Oregon's offensive line is really good, North Carolina's pass rush is terrible, worse than Oregon's. Um, Bo's going to have plenty of time, and I think he's going to pick apart, and he's going to put up some some big numbers in this game.
0: Do people do college football fantasy football? Is that the thing people do?
1: It was a thing at uh, a time.
0: Do you imagine how frustrated you'd be if you were a Bucky Irving owner and you are like, he never gets <laughs> touchdowns because Bo gets them. And then Jordan James just randomly comes in and deals. And I'm like, Bucky has like three rushing touchdowns. Sorry. It was just a thought. You mentioned vulturing touchdowns, Saturday CBB, which I appreciated. But then I was also going like, they also have Jordan James who does that too. And like, if you're a Bucky Irving, you like do all the work and then they just give it to one guy or the quarterback keeps it. Um, I, I actually think the other running back's going to have a big day here. Um, I think both could. Uh, you know, I ran through some of the rush defensive issues and kind of the anomaly of some of it. I was kind of like hurt my head to think about of like why were they so good this week and then terrible for against what, lesser competition. I, I think Oregon will uh, attempt to run the football, and I think they think they'll succeed to do it. That's, that again is their bread and butter. As much we make of Bo Nix as a passer, so much of this offense is set up by. The run game and, and again that could change i mean we, we have to note, like we expect drew marringer and junior adams to be calling this game those guys are wide receiver and tight end coaches like those guys maybe are gonna be like hey, let's just air the hell out of this football we're gonna throw it all day but i think they're north carolina has proven susceptible in both areas but i think on the run the, the ground i think that's an area where oregon has the advantage you mentioned the offensive flying the running back talent i have noah whittington running for a oregon career high of 109 or more yards uh, his previous high was 108 in the loss to Washington. And this also, the reason I picked this for my scope of dominance in part was to remind people that last year, Noah Whittington in his first career bowl game, the Boca Raton Bowl at Western Kentucky, had 150 yards rushing. That was a career high of rushing total. I think he's going to once again finish his season on a high note with a big rushing game. So I have 109 or more for, Buck, uh, for Noah. Games
2: like the Boca Raton Bowl or why bowl games need to stick around. It's as simple as that. I just need like that and the Dukes Mayo Bowl, the Cheez-It Bowl, they all need to stick around for just the name purposes. Um, Matt went Bo Nix. Someone's got to catch the ball for Bo Nix. So give me Chase Cota. Going to go with the sleeper pick here. Finish the season with nine catches, 136 yards and a touchdown against Oregon State. Troy Franklin is obviously the number one in this situation, but I think Chase Code is gonna come down with at least six catches, at least 100 yards receiving, and at least one touchdown through the air. Um, I just think that Chase is gonna have more time to get healthy. He's gonna be back to his uh, similar form um, during the beginning of the season when he was obviously Oregon's number two pass catcher. Um, I mean, I shoot, Knicks could throw for 500 yards and, and uh, tomorrow, Wednesday's game. so. I think that Chase Clear is going to at least come down with 100 of
1: them. All right, offensive team. I I am like Jared, or like Eric. I think um, Oregon's run game is going to be their focal point. I think they will run the football very well in this football game. Um, even when you travel on the road, you play in a different environment. They have, they're playing in a baseball stadium. You know, bonix is still hurt a little bit, the run game always travels. And I think even with North Carolina's defensive struggles, Oregon's first mission, from the head coach at least, is run the football, control the trenches. And uh, I'm going to have Oregon going. I went kind of conservative, but 275 on the ground total or more uh, for Oregon in this football game. Um, I do think Oregon flirts with – 600 plus yards in this game, um, which is crazy. But team pick 250 plus yards on the ground for Oregon or 275. Sorry.
0: I was going to say, you said you were going conservative. I went, I guess, more conservative. I didn't think it was that conservative. I'm going 230 or more yards on the ground, which was, I think, pretty likely to to come true. Um, You know, part of that was looking at the way North Carolina defended. I had that stat earlier, uh, four other. About, about half their opponents this year have, have run for more than 230 yards. I ran through them, App State, Georgia State, uh, Notre Dame, and Duke. Oregon has hit 230 or more six times this season. Seems like a likely hit to to make. Uh, I think at one point, not too long ago, they were averaging close to 230. So maybe this isn't that bold of a prediction. But I, I think they're going to run the ball with some success. And as you could tell earlier with the Whittington pick, I, I think their running backs are going to be able to to have some big big days, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's higher than, than 230, and given how many points I think could be scored in this game, clearly, um, you know, I think there's a lot of yards to be had to, maybe 230 is almost too easy of a prediction, but uh, that's what Scopaldamas went with, so Scopaldamas is sticking with it.
2: We stick with what Eric with a K Scopaldamas predicts. Um, I've got Oregon over 550 yards. Um, I think that's a, almost being a little conservative considering UNC allows 468 yards a game. Uh, Let's see, they allowed over 500 yards to to Miami, Duke, Notre Dame, and Appalachian State. Uh, Only one of those was a real football contender this past season. Uh, I'm encouraged to believe that Oregon is a much better offense than most of those teams, probably probably better than Notre Dame, at least statistically. Um, So give me over 550 yards, and I think, like Matt, that they'll be encroaching on that 600 number.
1: All right, defensive player pick – I really struggled here. I, I I don't know if Oregon has a player that's going to like dominate in this game. I don't feel like there's one that's out there. Maybe it's doorless um, up front in the trenches. Um, but I, I'm going with Bennett Williams. I'm going with my safe pick here. My man is going to play his final game at Oregon. Uh, Bennett Williams is going to lead the team in tackles. I, I – Two reasons. One, I think the ball is going to be all over the place, and he's in the secondary safety, meaning he's going to be around the football cleaning up tackles. And then, you know, his run support will help lead to a couple more tackles as well. So Bennett Williams leading the ta- team in tackles, which I'll do it. Double do- double dose here. Uh, he also goes over 10, 10 or more.
0: Now I post my scope of Domus's. Is- early and uh that's exactly what i predicted so we are uh we are on par there where we, we believe i have bennett williams finishes with 10 or more tackles so uh not much more to add <laughs> um <laughs> yeah you know, and, and i literally have a sentence that says i think players in the secretary will lead the way in takedowns in san diego so i'm picking the lead the team's leading tackler uh for the similar logic of view because there's going to be a lot of passes Uh, completed this game. So yeah, not much more to add there. Uh, If Bennett, Williams, that's going to be a good day for both of us at the office. If Bennett gets 10 or more, we'll both, uh, we'll both get cross one off our list, which by the way, this reminds me, this is a brief thing. We're going to do some sort of tally at the end of the year here about who did the best with these predictions. I know we asked our listeners early on to do it. Keep track. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some of our faithful listeners have a spreadsheet and are just marking it down. I'm sure of it. Checking the box scores, being like, all right, Eric, you went one Oh nine. How do you do? uh if if you actually did do that dm me i know no one will dm me which means i will be listening through all of these podcasts in a week to go through and figure out who did the best in predictions um so that'll be fun that'll be fun for me but yeah i i to reiterate bennett ten or more
2: i also had a bennett williams thing um i'm tempted to change it now as eric throws his Headphones down in frustration for the listeners. Gosh. <laughs> so um, much Ben Williams. <laughs> but I, I. Who else are we going to talk know, about? Like, who who, who else is going to be? Who else is left? He's who the else best is good? tackler in the secondary. So, <laughs> know, like, who else is it going to be? Like, is it going to be Jeffrey Bassa? Like, I think he's going no. to be uh, running, running, <laughs> running. The wrong direction. There's more than being in front of him. Yeah. Um, I have Ben Williams, but I was very liberal and I said he's 13 or over tackled. I just think that there's going to be an unbelievable amount of tackling opportunities for people who play defense on the University of Oregon football team, which might include one of us if uh, you know if Dan really gets desperate at one point. So Bennett Williams,
0: over 13 tackles in the Holiday Bowl against the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Career high is 14, set this year against Utah and also set uh, at Illinois. So you could get very close. Fighting line,
1: I. All right. Defensive team pick here. Um, Drake May is tremendous, and he's going to throw for a lot of yards, but he's coming into this game kind of limping. He struggled the last couple of weeks. He's only thrown one touchdown against four interceptions during this three-game losing skid. Um, He's also thrown 35 touchdown passes and over 4,100 yards passing tells you how good he was in the previous 10 games of the season, um, I think he's going to throw for a lot of yards. We know Oregon's defense gives up a lot of yards. They are 75th, I think. Uh, No, they're – sorry, they're 75th overall. They're 107th in pass defense. Um, They give up just over 260 total yards. But the the one caveat for Oregon's defense this season – much like the last couple of years, is they give up a lot of yards, but they find ways to get some turnovers. Um, They have 16 interceptions this season, which ranks eighth nationally. I think Oregon's defense somehow, some way, the way they win this game is they get two stops, and those two stops will come off of some kind of turnover, whether it's an interception that – they cause themselves whether it's a pass rush getting to drake may as he throws and a flutter goes up in the air and bennett williams runs underneath it and grabs it or maybe it's a, a pass that hits a north carolina receiver clear in the hands but bounces off and and oregon gets lucky and they they get the interception or maybe it's a fumble i don't know but two two turnovers for oregon's defense will give them the separation that is needed uh for this game
0: I panicked there a moment Matt you said Drake May is going to throw for a lot of yards. I thought you were about to make the same prediction I did like verbatim again. You did not. <laughs> pre- I appreciate that. I have Drake May with 400 or more passing yards. Um he's only, you know, he's got all those those passing yards and, and again, if you look at the stats, it's it's really impressive. He's fourth nationally in in pass yards, sixth in touchdown passes, 12th in quarterback rating as a redshirt freshman first year starter barely played last year. Um guy has been tremendous. Only had 400 or more yards once this season. That came against Wake Forest when he had 448. Um, I think he goes over 400 in this game. I think it's going to be very feasible he gets over 448 as well, um, just because of Oregon's issues uh, on defense. I do think you have to acknowledge like the loss of Josh Downs is pretty significant, too. Like I think you just have to be aware of that. This was not just like, a, hey, this is Drake May's favorite target, but the guy is like, you know, Oregon over the years has had teams where it's like you have a great quarterback. The favorite target's a guy like Dylan Mitchell, really talented player. At Oregon didn't have an NFL career. Josh Downs will have an NFL career. This guy is going to be on your fantasy football team at some point, probably down the line. Like he's going to be a player who like will be viable as an NFL player. He could be a first round pick. He could be a second or third round pick. Like he's going to be somebody that, uh, that has an NFL future. Like him not playing in this game, I think is significant, uh, but I just don't know if it matters all that much with the way Oregon has played defensively. Again, I like I'm crossing my fingers. I'm hoping that things are better. I'm hoping there's you know that Tosh and and Dan and the defensive staff have gotten together during this break and have really devised a great game plan. They figured it out. Like I'm hoping, but I just don't know if that's what happens. But I I, I just think there's a lot of yards in this game in general, and I think May has a ton throwing it.
2: I two things. Don't want to talk about fantasy. And the second one is I, I don't think that they came up with the uh, all-encompassing plan to stop Drake May. Although maybe Tosh and Dan are listening and they're really going to try hard tonight and figure that out. Um Originally, I didn't have a defensive team prediction just because I didn't want the defense. to. I just wanted as many points as possible. I wanted an entertaining game. Um, But I reluctantly, I decided on Uh, Drake May throwing for 439 yards and over uh, considering the fact that Stetson Bennett and the Georgia offense threw for over 400 or they threw for 439 yards. So I am anticipating that Drake May and the UNC offense, we will throw for the most amount of passing yards against Oregon this season because they are probably, I don't know, between them and Washington are the best passing attacks. And I might give it to Washington right now because of Downs not playing in this game. But I still think Drake May has certainly a great opportunity to throw for 440 yards against this defense.
1: Team picks. Um, I think this game is going to be very similar to the second quarter and beyond in the Oregon loss to Washington. Because remember, that, second, that first quarter didn't have a lot of points. I think it was like three or two. 10 total points between the two teams uh and then it just exploded where neither team especially in the second half where it went back and forth i'm all in on on records being set in this game uh, we've got two quarterbacks that are nfl dudes first first rounder in may a draft pick guy in, in Knicks, good offenses good receivers even though downs is gone for north carolina i, I think we're going to see the most points scored in the holiday bowl uh, I think we could see the most yardage or you know for one of these two teams in a bowl game scenario and the points are going to be crazy 49-45 Oregon uh over 90 points scored Oregon's a 14 point favorite and I don't think they cover um and the big reason why I I just have a hard time seeing Oregon consistently stop North Carolina's passing attack with Knowing Oregon's issues, knowing what they have on defense, what, they, what they're what they going to lack on defense, this is going to be one of those games. It's going to be back and forth. It, it, it could be a game where one team could be leading by 14, and you're still saying, it's not over yet. Don't freak out. This team still has plenty of time to come back and get the lead.
0: Well, Matt, after the Oregon State game, I think no lead is safe with Oregon. Yes. Uh, sadly. I hate to bring that up again. The over/under, Jared, correct me if I'm wrong. Has it moved? It was like 75 and a half yesterday when I was looking. Um,
2: I looked it up before the show. It's a, it's an even, not even, but it's 75 flat,
0: 75.0, which feels low. <laughs> like these teams, yeah. these teams average legitimately. I think almost exactly that number. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pull up their scoring average right now and do some quick mental math here. Like, I know, I think I looked Oregon it. Oregon
2: is 39, 39.7 for Oregon.
0: And North Carolina is 35 out. flat. So it's like literally, basically within – 74. A, yeah, it's, it's right there. So like these teams are very capable of getting – so. I, I don't gamble too much on sports. Like I would be tempted to, to, to hit that one. Like that that, that feels interesting to me. Um, Matt, we almost did it again. I have like almost an identical score. The way I differ the only way we're differentiating here is I, I think we've talked about this a couple times this season. You said it might be a turnover here or there. <laughs> I think it's gonna be Oregon scores touchdowns. The defense is able to force some field goals. Um so I think Oregon wins 49-44. So three field goals by Carolina. I think this game is just gonna be outrageous. And I think it, it will be one mm-hmm. of those where it's like what was that third quarter in the Oregon Washington game? I know you mentioned after the second quarter. But I think that I think quarter, it had thirty
1: one total points in the third quarter. Yeah, if yeah. I remember
0: It's something like that. It was like 31, 35 points something scored in that quarter. I could foresee multiple quarters, maybe not being quite that high, but just being like, holy cow, this game is outrageous. So many points being scored. And the other thing we have to acknowledge is like, like the Oregon special teams aren't any better than they were. Like, we haven't talked about that, but like, like if Oregon can't like actually punt the football, like they might just be going for it on fourth every time. And like that could provide a lot of opportunities for short fields for North Carolina, or it could provide a lot of an opportunity where Oregon just scores every time. Cause they get it on fourth a bunch, but like the special teams thing is the one thing in the back of my head going, I am predicting Oregon wins. I think I, I feel pretty good about it, but like the one thing in the back of my head that goes like my spidey senses are tingling a little bit of like, God, if they screw up on special teams a bunch again, and they just have a disastrous day and they can't like punch block, they, they don't know how to field kicks. Mm-hmm. Like this game could get kind of weird and wonky enough where, the North, the Tar Heels who are again like a 14.2 score underdogs could come out of this with a victory even though i think Oregon has i think overall probably the not probably i i think the superior team um but who the heck knows sometimes in college football weird stuff happens and Oregon needs to shore up at special teams but i i still have Oregon winning by by 5
2: who the heck knows i have Oregon winning by 11 49 to 38 um, slightly different than you than you guys, but alas, still hammer the over if you are someone who bets on sports because it just makes sense that neither of these teams are going to play defense. Um, and even if they try, I don't know if it'll be that much. Uh, yeah, there, there's I don't think Oregon's going to cover. I think UNC's offense and Drake May are too potent to let this be like a 15-point game. I think I last checked, I think the spread is now 14 points and moved down to 14 and a half. So there you go. So it had to be 15 points for them to, for Oregon to cover. And I just don't, I don't anticipate that happening. I really don't Um, just because I don't, I I think that this game will ultimately come down to Oregon being able to stop them in the red zone um, and limit them to field goals. Um, The one positive, I guess, is that uh, UNC's red zone scoring percentage is 79.63, which is 94th in the country. So that does give Oregon a little bit, of an opportunity to potentially stop them from scoring straight-up touchdowns and hold them to field goals. Um, and that's the only – I, I mean, that's my only reason as to why um, Oregon wins by 11 points. Um, if, if UNC goes down and doesn't punt the entire day and scores touchdowns, uh, it's very legitimate that they can come from being a 14-point underdog and win this game. Um, you know, just a couple three, – three, four weeks ago, UNC was a top 15 in the country. Um and they're, they were, they're just like Oregon, and they were looking down the, bar- the barrel of a potential New Year's Six game. But losing three, three, three straight to end the season isn't great. Oregon loses two of three. Um, I, I mean, I just think that this game is going to be a lot of fun entertainment-wise and how many points you scored. I don't think a- anybody on the defense is going to feel great about their performance. Um, but, I, I again, this goes back to what we talked about. We can wrap it up like how we did how we opened it in the beginning of the show. Is looking to see who makes an impact or who makes a, a great player, who steps up in this moment of opportunity and makes a name for themselves. Um, I think that's that's really the the main thing that I'm looking forward to in this game. That and hopefully seeing a fully healthy Bo Nix and you know reliving some of the glory days of the 2022 season where they scored a bunch of points.
0: We've all just predicted it so low, low high scoring. Why it be like 20 to 17? And it's just like well, the
1: yeah. Brown said. Mac Brown said both defenses are going to be highly motivated in this game because everyone is basically calling. It them won't trick. matter.
2: <laughs> I'll tell you what; they can be as motivated as they like. I just I don't think, think it's going to matter. I just
0: think it would be hilarious if it's like 2017 and it's like both quarterbacks throw a bunch of picks and play terrible, and you're just like, "Wow, we got this one wrong. Like, we were really far off." <laughs> uh,
1: all three of us picked Oregon to win, and yeah. I don't. Maybe I'm speaking for all of us here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but would it be safe to say that none of us, though, are saying it would be a shock if Oregon loses? Like, I, I would not be shocked at all if Oregon lost this game. No, and again,
0: I, I do think Oregon has the better team in total. Yes. But mm-hmm. it's a bowl game. Things get wonky. There's so many. Like the, the, I keep going back to, like, the other part here that you have to understand going into these bowl games is the portal and the opt-outs. Like, Oregon's down roughly 20 players from on scholarship in this game. Like... Mm-hmm again you can say not a lot of them are starters which is the which is true some guys on defense but like that is depth and you are now looking at a situation where if a chase coda goes down his backup is no longer a guy like dante thornton it's now like i don't know kyler casper someone like that caleb chapman the guys who have not been relied upon all season to play significant roles like defensively if a uh let's say jeffrey bossa gets hurt now it's Devin Jackson or Harrison Taggart or somebody like that who just literally hasn't played all year. So I do think that's the other part here where it gets weird of, of like right. so much depth has been taken away from Oregon. And I think North Carolina, I don't know if it's quite to, to 20, but it's, it's uh, you know, th- 13 or something, 12. That has a cumulative effect where you are now one injury away, even if your starters aren't out of the picture. You're not one injury away from being like, well, that guy barely has – that guy. we don't know what that guy is. He's not a known commodity. So, and that's where right. it could get fun. That could be the fun part of coming away, being like, holy cow, like this new player, we didn't know he was, we had nothing, we knew nothing about him. He had this great game. Or it could be the opposite of like Drake May goes, hey, who's, who's never, who's number six out there for Oregon on, in, on their corners? Oh, let's just throw the ball at, at whoever's guarded by that guy every time. And suddenly you look up and go, wow, I'm picking on Julio Florence just out of happenstance, but like, wow, Jeff, Julio Florence gave up. 220 yards through the air on his own and got beat a bunch i'm not expecting that to happen but those are the weird outcomes that happen in bowls where like literally a quarter of your roster is 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 no longer around after after the season's over basically shocked
2: if oregon lost uh no i'd be I'd, i'd just be surprised i think that for all the points that eric mentioned i think that they're just the better team they're just the better overall team they have more continuity they have at least some Defensive depth in their uh, secondary, which is what you really need at this point, especially considering who their opponent is. I know Oregon's secondary hasn't been great all year long, but at least it has continuity. At least there's some known talent there, other than Christian Gonzalez leaving, who was the best talent there. But getting back Bo Nix, having an entirely healthy offensive line, Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington. I know you lose Dante Thornton, but that's primarily the only offensive piece that you lose. Um, I think that Oregon's going to be fine. Uh, offensively, defensively, they just need to get some semblance of a pass rush. And again, to, to, to uh, UNC, like their offensive line isn't great. They're 90th in the country in sack rate, almost 8%. Um, I know that they had to go against really good defensive lines in the ACC like Clemson um, and then Notre Dame, but Notre Dame's not in the ACC, blah, blah, blah. Um, Oregon just needs something. Maybe it's Amarion Winston. Maybe it's Anthony Jones. Maybe it's um, maybe somebody plays outside linebacker that we haven't seen all year play outside linebacker. Maybe they
0: use J- J- Jaden J- and- J- 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 Navarrete comes back from the portal. He says, "Hey, it's yeah, my time." He just says, "Hey guys,
2: I'm I'm in San Diego now. I'm I'm here. I'm here." It's, I was around the corner.
0: I was around yeah. the corner getting pizza. Do you guys? Do you guys need somebody on the outside? I'm I'm available.
2: It's it's got to be somebody to just get home to Drake May every once in a while, and I think that they're secondary can be um okay i guess maybe i don't know <laughs> but they they need some pass rush and maybe they can um they can make this into a 10 to 12 point game um other than that wouldn't i'd be shocked if they i, I would probably be shocked if they lost but not not overly surprised
1: all right it's gonna do it for us here on the Austin audibles podcast thank you for making it through this one Almost an hour long. Really appreciate it. All our coverage from the bowl game will be up on DuckTerritory.com following that game Wednesday night. We'll have another podcast reacting to it, which we might try to do a live stream. We'll see how that goes. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll throw that one out there. Maybe we make Ooh. it live as you guys can react to it in real time. Um, but thank you for, for following, listening to us all season long. Uh, we've got one more of the 2022 football season, which will be tomorrow night here on the podcast until then you've been listening to the odds and Nauticals podcast talk to you later folks peace